Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. This is part two of the broadcast of Character Traits of Mature Believers. Well, this morning I heard about a prominent pastor who is taking a leave of absence due to an indiscretion regarding his online interaction with a woman who is not his wife. Although the relationship was not romantic or sexual, uh, he acknowledged it was inappropriate. You know, of course, in the days ahead, the details will be probably more revealing. But my heart aches for this man and for his church and for his family and, and all who are impacted by his choices. And thankfully, it looks like the elders of his church are taking some good steps uh, to handle this situation in a biblical and a Christ-like manner. And uh, when I heard this news, I, I said, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. Hey, you know, anybody can be caught up in uh, this particular situation that he finds himself in. And so as you think about purity, how do we keep our lives clean? David asked that question when he was giving his prayer of confession in Psalm 51, verse 10. And he's confronted by the prophet and he says, how can a man keep himself pure? The prophet Isaiah asked a question about how we can keep pure and how we can be where we need to be when it comes to this matter of purity. In Isaiah 52, 11, he says, get out, get out and leave your captivity where everything you touch is unclean. Get out of there and purify yourselves, you who carry home the sacred objects of the Lord. And, and so here we learn that we should get away from areas of impurity. Don't even touch or get close to unclean things. And, and Jesus even said, blessed are we who are pure in heart. And Paul said in 1 Timothy 5.22 that we're never to be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. And it says, do not keep uh, in sharing in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. This covers the why of purity, but how can we keep pure in this very impure world that we're living in? In Mark chapter 1, we read the story of a man who had leprosy. And he came and he knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. Jesus asked him a penetrating question. Do you want to be healed? And so Jesus was moved with compassion with this man, and he says, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me whole, said the man. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he says, I want to be healed. So Jesus reaches out and touches him, and Jesus says, I am willing, be you healed. And so if you want to live a life of purity, Uh, you got to be willing to be healed. This is a very uh, simple question that must be answered. Do you want to be pure? In biblical times, leprosy was a disease in which a person who had it was called impure. They would become pure when they were healed. As they went before the priest, the priest would either declare they were impure, the leprosy was still there, or they were pure and that they were completely healed of the leprosy. The impurity of leprosy was dangerous because it would deaden a person's nerve endings, so they felt no pain. You know, in our lives, pain is an indicator that something is wrong, so pain tells us to get help. Do you want to be pure? It is sad that sometimes our hearts get hard, that we don't even want to be healed. That's why Jesus asked that leper, do you want to be healed? I ask you today, do you want to be pure? And as we think about purity, uh, we've got to deal with the process of becoming pure, be willing to be healed. Haggai in the Old Testament, that prophet of old, said a very important statement, three words. He said to his people, if you want to be healed, consider your 
ways. Now, the second thing that must happen if we're going to be living a life of purity, number one, we must be willing to be healed. Number two, we must willingly confess and make changes. I see, if we're going to be pure, we must first confess our impurity. The second, we must change by bringing into our lives some really good habits. Let's look at these habits found in Psalm 119. And we'll look at verses 9 through 16. A question begins by David by asking that question again, the same one he asked me previously, how can a young man keep his way pure? And then the question's answered. Number one, by guarding it according to your word with your whole heart. David says, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So guarding it according to God's word. Number two, taking God's word and storing God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against God. And then David said, blessed are you, O Lord. Number three, teach me your statues. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your words. So let me give you the steps real quick, okay? Number one, if we want to live a life of purity, we must be willing to confess and change, and we must, number one, rely on the word of God, not our own wisdom. Jesus said in John 15, 3, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So rely on the word of God because the word cleanses us. Number two, We must not only rely on the Word of God, but we must remember the Word of God. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep with your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of living water. From it flows the springs of life. Don't let your guard down. Remember God's Word. You know, I have a good friend who is a police officer, been a police officer for many years, and he teaches other police officers this very important rule. One little statement. Never let your guard down. Never let your guard down. As a matter of fact, this police officer says, I never let my guard down until I get home and I'm in my own house. He says, even there, sometimes a little bit guarded. But he says, as soon as I leave my house, I am never letting my guard down. And if you're going to be a person of purity, you must remember God's word. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Never let your guard down. Number three, you must receive the word of God with humility. The psalmist says, teach me. And that implies I'm needing to be taught something. It takes humility to receive instruction. You see, pride will blind us from our impurities. Humility teaches us to overcome them. So receive God's word with humility. Next, we must revisit the word of God, declaring it daily. I like what Peter says. Peter says, you know, in 1 Peter 2.2, he says, you know, newborn babies, they just crave pure spiritual milk. Uh, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You know, last night I went to one of our small groups, and uh, it's a group that my daughter is part of, and her husband had a meeting uh, at work and couldn't go with her, and uh, she asked if I would go to help kind of keep an eye on my grandson. And I said, you know what? I would love to go. So as we went to this uh, wonderful small group, it was over one of our elders' homes, and I uh, sat there, and I, and I had the joy of being there with my grandson. And I noticed he got a little fussy. And the first thing I did is I gave him that bottle, right? <laughs> like newborn babies crave milk. As those who want to live a life of purity. We must revisit the Word of God. We must crave God's Word so that we can grow up in our salvation. If we are going to be pure, 
We must have a daily diet of God's Word. Next, we must rejoice in the Word of God. So we've covered so far, remember the Word, receive the Word with humility, revisit the Word of God, rejoice in the Word of God. Why? Because God's Word abides forever. It can forever keep us pure. We are told in Philippians 4.4 to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, how can I rejoice in the Lord always? I just rejoice in his word. Sometimes, you know, I get asked to pray or I get asked to speak. And and sometimes I'm not sure exactly what to say. Uh, So I just start rejoicing in the word of God. I just start quoting uh, scriptures. And just quoting the joyful passage of Scripture, the joy of the Lord is my strength, said Nehemiah to those who were so tired and overwhelmed with the pressure of building that wall around Jerusalem and so overcome with the stress of fighting off the enemy at the same time, they had to take joy in the Word of God. Next, we must, if we're going to remain pure, we must regurgitate the Word of God. Now, this is this ongoing, deeper meditation of God's Word, hiding it in our hearts. Like that cow does, right? They say that the cow has four stomachs and the cow will eat grass and keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up, uh, regurgitating it. And so never question what it says. Meditate on what the word says. Hide it in God's word. To meditate means to chew the cud, to respect. It means to submit to the fact that God's ways are always the best. Well, I'm praying that you will live a life of purity, and that God will bless you with purity all the days of your life. And so as we continue on our subject here, talking about character traits of the mature believer, these are traits that we all should have in our lives. Number one, all you need is love, right? The Beatles song. We began yesterday by talking about this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Listen, I can love the most unlovely person, not because I'm by nature a loving person, but because God loved me and I am unlovable. I am one of those people that that uh, could, can, can really kind of like a, be a migraine headache, right? And, uh, and so uh, if God can love me, there's nobody that I cannot love. And number two, uh, and my fact, I'm going to develop that whole series of message on, on uh, God's love for us in a future broadcast. But number two, uh, Second character trait of those who are mature believers is that they operate on joy. Joy is is simply not something that happens to us. We can have joy and we can keep choosing joy every single day. Jesus said, I have told you this. I've given you my words. I've told you this so that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then we talk number three, the fact that mature believers have got peace like a river. I love that hymn, I've got peace like a river. Uh, Rivers apparently sometimes don't look like they're peaceful, but they're always just going about their business. We learn not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, don't forget that part, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds with Christ Jesus. And then number four, the fourth character trait that we ended the broadcast with yesterday is the character trait of self-control. Somebody said, if you can learn self-control, you can master anything. Paul says, by the grace of God that has appeared to us that offers salvation, and it teaches us 
to say no to ungodliness. Now, don't you like how he talks about that point? It teaches us, right? So we need to learn self-control. We are not by nature self-controlled individuals. So what in the world is self-controlled anyway? Self-control for the believer is the life that is controlled by the Spirit. As I think about the life being controlled by the Spirit, what causes somebody to act out on a violent impulse and commit murder? They are, are, are frustrated to try to find out why this can happen. There is actually an article in the, in the Scientific American publication uh, in Tucson, Arizona, and the article was entitled, What Causes Someone to Act Out on Violent Impulses and Commit Murder? So they asked this question of why some people can control their anger and can control their frustration, while others seem like they really lack self-control. When they discovered what happens, they discovered it has nothing to do with your intelligence. Uh, It has nothing to do with what happens to you. It has everything to do with learning self-control. A guy by the name of Richard Disbit was a great authority on intelligence, and he says, Losing self-control is not a matter of intelligence. As a matter of fact, he plainly said that he'd rather have his son be high in self-control than high in intelligence. He says self-control is the key to a well-functioning life. How do we learn self-control? We learn to train our brains to respond and be controlling, and we learn to watch certain things, and we learn that we've got to say no to certain things. You know, as we look at the end of times, 1 Peter 4 reminds us that at the end times, something's going to happen. He says, the end of all things is near. As we get closer to the end of human civilization, he encourages us to be of sound mind, self-controlled, and sober in prayer, because as we get closer to the return of Christ, there's going to be this lack of sound mind, a lack of self-control, and there's going to be no seriousness about prayer and spiritual matters. Because God's grace is in me. That's where I learn self-control. I receive the grace of God. I receive the mercy of God. I am able to grow in self-control. Second Peter 1 says this, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness. Do you see the progression? We supplement our faith with goodness, okay? Uh, We have faith that is tied up with goodness. And then that goodness is based on knowledge. In other words, uh, as we exercise our faith, we become a better person. We become a person who exercises goodness, and then we get more knowledge. I believe that you stunt your knowledge by stunting your goodness. Because the more you know about something, the more you should be good in that area. The more you should give goodness out of that area— and then knowledge with self-control. In other words, the more things I know, as my mind is being trained, as I start to take on the mind of Christ, I become more self-controlled. It is an indicator that I'm growing in my relationship with Christ. Christ is self-controlled. I become self-controlled as I take on his mind. And it's the Spirit of God that does that. Self-control leads to endurance. Ah, oh, there's so many people that quit. They're up and down and all over the place. They have no endurance. They have no self-control. Listen, an indication that you're a person of self-control is that you are a person with endurance. And then Peter says you have endurance with godliness. So self-control is both something we make an effort for, 
and it is something that we receive. It is done in a collaboration with the Holy Spirit, not by Him for us, nor by us without Him. It's an agreement with the Holy Spirit. It's not being forced to be Spirit-controlled. It's being surrendered to the control of the Spirit. Biblical self-control means choosing to give up trying to control things on our own, surrendering to God for help, and working alongside Him to produce real change. So that's a, an earmark or a character trait of a mature believer. They learn self-control. Number five, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. So hope is one of these character traits of a mature believer. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's firm and it's secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I love this verse, don't you? We have a hope as an anchor for the soul, and it's firm and it's secure. It enters into that inner sanctuary behind a curtain. Now, what in the world is the writer talking about? This is talking about that curtain that hung and separated the inner sanctuary from the outer sanctuary in the tabernacle. It was the place that kept you from going into the Holy of Holies. Behind that curtain, once a year, the high priest would go behind that curtain, and he would offer up atonement for the sins of the people once a year on Yom Kippur. When Jesus was on that cross, when he died, that curtain was torn from the top down to the bottom. Now, that curtain was over a foot thick. Now, there's no way humanly anybody could tear that curtain. It was God who tore down that curtain. And it says that Jesus entered into that sanctuary behind the curtain. But now he gives us access to that Holy of Holies. That is hope. We have hope because of what Christ has done for us. Fred Smith is a, is a guy who worked for many years with the Billy Graham Association. And he said this, leadership means plugging away until breakthrough comes. He also says, the energy that is needed to retreat might have been just the amount needed to succeed. What keeps us pushing on instead of retreating? It is hope. Because God's hope is in me, I am stable. You know, longer than anybody else, decade after decade, Billy Graham was included in Good Housekeeping's most admired list. Over the years, presidents and, and other luminaries have appeared, and then they faded, but Billy has always been at or near the top of the list. Uh, one day, Fred Smith, uh, who chaired the, the uh, Billy Graham Crusades many times, uh, uh, said, you know, Billy, have you, have you ever thought about that good housekeeping list? <laughs> Billy Graham says, well, well not particularly. Well, Fred Smith says, well, take a closer look. He says, every person on that list is positive. To define reality and to lead effectively, must, one must discover a reality that resonates with hope. When we're thinking about those who have appeared on the list, images came quickly to mind. Dwight Eisenhower, that big, broad smile that he had. John F. Kennedy, the vigor, right? that crinkly-eyed humor that he had. Billy Graham's warm glaze beside his wife, Ruth, appeared year after year after year 
As a matter of fact, he leads the list being on that list more than anybody else. Why? Because he had hope. Oh, he would preach about the wages of sin being death. He would warn about the dangers of being separated from God in hell, but then he'd give the hope of heaven found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham would also say many times, the Bible says, right? And he would remind people of the hope that can be found in Christ that is delivered to us through the word of God. You know, Martin Luther, uh, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther the Reformer, who really inspired Martin Luther King Jr., and that's actually Martin Luther King's namesake, but Martin Luther the Reformer said in the 1500s, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. Martin Luther King Jr., though separated by 500 years almost, applied it to modern times. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. In 2001, after the tragic events of 9-11, many people just felt paralyzed as they watched their television sets and they saw over and over again the results of man's capacity for evil. Billy Graham was called on to bring hope and meaning to his stunned fellow citizens. What could he say? Uh, He knew his message in that national cathedral just three days after the devastation would be viewed by millions around the globe. Billy spoke with a mature empathy born from a lot of experience. He not only felt the shock and the dismay, but he put himself right in place of his listeners. He assured them that God understood their feelings about the terrible carnage. He spoke of the tragedy and the evil and the suffering. But he also spoke that God is a a God of love, mercy, and compassion. Who can understand it, he asked honestly. Then he communicated hope. I've become an old man now, he said. And he says, the older I get, the more I cling to that hope that I started with many years ago. Billy was speaking about Ambassador Andrew Young, who at the tragic death of his wife, quoted from that old hymn, How Firm a Foundation. He said, we all watched in horror as those planes crashed into the steel glass of the World Trade Center. These majestic towers, built on solid foundations, were examples of the prosperity and the creativity of America. When damaged, these buildings eventually plummeted to the ground, imploding upon themselves. Yet underneath the debris is a foundation that was not destroyed. Therein lies the truth of that old hymn that Andrew Young quoted, How firm a foundation. Yes, Billy said, our nation has been attacked. Buildings have been destroyed. Lives have been lost. But now we have a choice. Whether to implode and disintegrate emotionally and spiritually as a people and as a nation, or whether we choose to become stronger. You see, Billy understood and he identified with those who long for leadership in the, in the, in the storms of life. He gave them both specific responses to the obvious questions, and he gave them the basis for our hope. He concluded with these words, My prayer today is that we will all feel the loving arms of God wrapped around us. We may not be called to speak on large audiences in times of crisis, but the small audiences that we do have, maybe just one person, they need to hear the context of this positive message of hope. 
As Billy Graham says, men and women, we must have hope. Well, there's a sixth characteristic of those who are mature believers, and, and, uh, and I'm going to have to get into the rest of the message tomorrow. So join me for part C tomorrow as we continue on the 10 character traits of mature believers. But number six is this, the trying of your faith produces patience. James 1.3. You know, the Proverbs reminds us that whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Have you ever made the connection between peace and wisdom? Because of God's patience in me, I have wisdom. Join me tomorrow as we wrap up this series, this third message on how you can be a mature believer in the character traits that you have in your life. Now listen, if I can help you with anything, feel free to shoot me a text message. You can text me at 252-267-2365, 252-267-2365, or you can shoot me an email, ccorbett at hrcc7.org. And thank you for those who have reached out to me even this week. I appreciate hearing from you. I want you to know that I'm praying for you today. God bless you. Join us tomorrow as we look at part three of Beliefs and Character Traits of the Mature Believer. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.